At Cool Air Products, we developed AC Smart Seal Quick Shot with professionals in mind. It's the only product on the market that's three in one, with sealant, lubricant, and UV dye all in a single application. It's non toxic, non flammable, 100% safe to the touch, eco friendly, and compatible with all refrigerants. It's a safe solution option, backed by years of R&D, Intertech tested, and has sealed millions of leaks. AC Smart Seal, the professional's choice. Welcome back, guys. The HVAC Know It All podcast. So today's episode, we're going to feature a tech by the name of Brandy Ferentz. She is the second female that's been on the HVAC Know It All podcast. And to be honest, I'd like to ramp the female presence up because it's really great to get the perspective of a female in the trades. I've always been in the field with, with men, with males. And I've never worked with a female in the trade, but I've talked to a bunch of them and it's really cool to get the perspective. So Brandy, she, if you guys are on Instagram, you can follow her there. She goes by the handle of at C-H-L-R-C-H-K, at Chiller Chick. She's steadily um, growing her presence on that platform. It's her, her page is very entertaining. She's a very funny girl. She um, has a lot of educational tidbits, okay? And, and there's a lot of motivational stuff for females as well on her page, which is very cool. So she's going to be on the podcast and we're going to talk about chiller maintenance, centrifugal chillers. Okay, there's, a, there's like three seasons, I guess. There's the winter where a lot of the work gets done. There's the summer where they're running. And then there's the, the shutdown period. And we're going to talk about all three and we're just going to have some, some random tech to tech discussion as well. Now, this interview is in two parts. One part, the second part actually was prior. It was like a week before this recording. And the first part actually happened um, a few minutes before I recorded the intro here. So just because of the, the technical difficulties and me trying to learn all this new stuff I've got and put together, it just worked out that way. But I'm learning <laughs> and it was nice to get to talk to Brandy twice. So guys, pay attention, listen up. This is the HVAC Know-It-All podcast. I'm your host, Gary McCready. So I recently watched a presentation on YouTube and it was Jim Bergman discussing evacuation and it was going back to old literature that he made a presentation out of. It was very interesting, to be honest. If you ever have a chance, um, go check it out. In the beginning of the, the video, he was saying, a vacuum, a vacuum doesn't suck. And the way he explained it made, made so much sense because you'd be like, what do you mean a vacuum doesn't suck? Put my finger on it, it sucks my finger in. Well, the way he explained it is basically the vacuum creates a low pressure zone right? And in order for flow to happen, we need, um, we need to go from low to high or sorry, high to low, right? And the vacuum creates a low pressure zone. So the atmosphere is higher pressure. So the atmosphere actually starts to push against the low pressure. So it's the low pressure zone is created and the atmosphere, which is higher, starts to push against it. So you're actually pushing air out. You're not pulling it very very hard to wrap your brain around that but the way he explained it if you guys have, check out that video the reason i'm bringing that up is because um true tech tools yeah they got tons of tools but they, they're also into education big time um and on their site i'm on um a page right now it's called vacuum training and it's got a video uh, it's called 51 seconds to 500 microns with true tech tools i will leave that link um, in the podcast summary, the podcast notes, so you guys can check it out. So it's not always about selling tools. It's about education as well. And I, I thought I'd throw that in there for you guys. So check that video out. I'll leave it in the summary of the podcast.
All right, guys, I'm doing this segment from my truck. I uh, just got down off the roof doing a service call. So yesterday I had the chance to use a few of my favorite things, just like the song goes, right? So the Testo Digital Gauges has a built-in mode to do a pressure test, and I've talked about it before, but I used it again, and, and I love it because you can pick up a slow leak very, very easily with the test. You turn on the mode um, once you have pressure in the system. On the left-hand side, you have your starting pressure, you have your finishing pressure on the right-hand side, and you have your delta pressure above that, so the difference between the two if it ends up dropping. Um, and then you have like a little play button on, on the, uh, the manifold set. You push it, and it starts a timer. Now, somebody asked me, what happens if the pressure goes up? Is that a big deal? Well, to me, it's not, because if the pressure goes up, it means you're not losing anything. It's potentially equalizing on both sides of the system, or potentially maybe you had some refrigerant boiling off in the oil to increase that pressure, right? So I wouldn't worry about it. I only worry about a drop in pressure. Um, very, very um, cool, cool mode within that digital gauge set. I'm just starting to use it again. I actually, I used it in the past. I just forgot about it because I hadn't come across very many units that were totally out of refrigerant. Usually I find them with a little bit of gas left and I go around with my electronic leak detector, check them, and anything I work on, I just soap and make sure I got no bubbles, um, and then I go from there. But pressurizing a system that's out, yeah, that, that is a super cool mode to use. Now, while I was, or before I actually started to use that mode, I had to change the seals out on my on my hoses. Now, changing seals on your hoses is, is very, very um, important to your tool maintenance. Because if you have a bad seal, it can cause a restriction. It can kind of um, not grow over, but it can kind of be pushed down on top of the opening. Or it can cause leaks. It can cause leaks um, if you're pressure testing or if you're testing a system. You don't want refrigerant or nitrogen leaking out of the system you have intact. So changing the seals is a good thing. And the next favorite thing is the yellow jacket pick very unique tool in the industry to change hose seals the pit gets right in there and it gets those hard hardened um, compressed seals out okay um, and when you get the compressed seal out basically you take the end cap off the tool off the pick and you can store extra seals in there so you take a seal out put a little dab of nylog inside the connection pop a new seal in and, and Bob's your uncle. And the reason for the nylog is it kind of keeps the seal lubricated and prevents it from binding up. Like if you're turning it, turning the connection, um, it prevents that seal from binding up. It kind of keeps it loose and lubricated in there. So nylog, the pick, and the 557, just a few of my favorite things that I got to use yesterday all at once. Um, so going on to talking about vacuum pumps, I have a Navac 12 CFM in my truck, which I plan on using very, very soon. I've also got a 6 CFM, which I plan on giving away, hopefully, maybe, a little teaser. And I have the 2 CFM battery-powered vacuum pump. Now, the 12 CFM pump, a lot of guys think they can hook it up to a system with their quarter-inch hoses and they're pulling 12 CFM. Well, in reality, you're not, because if you go in... A little bit deeper and go into some more of the research and, and information that's available to you at a thousand microns a quarter inch hose is only pulling 0.5 cfm so if you have a 12 cfm vacuum pump with quarter inch hoses you're not pulling very much and the reason why because when you get down to like a thousand microns it's harder to get down to that 500 because basically as I was saying in the opening about a vacuum creating a pressure difference, okay? The pressure difference between atmosphere and the vacuum when you first start it is great. So the greater the pressure difference, the greater the flow. But when you get down to 1,000 microns, your flow decreases because your pressure difference is also decreased big time. So less of a pressure difference, less flow. So if you restrict the flow by a quarter-inch hose... That's why it takes forever to get that last bit of vacuum, that last few microns or few hundred microns you want to remove from that system. So using larger hoses, increased size hoses, 
will basically match up to the capacity of your pump. Like the True Blue hoses are, from what I recall, rated at 16 CFM at 1,000 microns. So if you're using a 8 CFM pump, you're getting, the pump's doing all it can. You're at full capacity, which is awesome, right? So just remember that. When you hook up a big pump to a unit, oh, this will pull down in no time. But quarter-inch hoses, guys, it's not going to do it. Um, if you got time to sit there and wait, I mean, by all means, you you do what you got to do. But um, a lot of us don't have the time. They got to move on or we got to move on to the next job or get home um, for dinner with the family. So you've seen me talk about Cool Air products. You've seen me post all their stuff. Really wicked truck stock items. Smart Seal External, Quick Shot, uh, Smart Shot. I've tried them all. They've all worked for me. Okay. Coolairproducts.net is where you want to go to find that stuff. And also my new relationship with House Call Pro. Guys, check them out for um, paperless invoicing, right? Straight from the driveway of your customer. Invoice them directly. Um, dispatching is very, very, very easy and organized with color-coded blocks. Emails, text messages from the company to the customer when the tech is on the way. All kinds of cool features. Uh, reduced first month cost with my landing page. And also a, um, a free trial. So go to housecallpro.com forward slash HVAC know it all. What's up, Brandy? How you doing? Good, not too much. How are you? I'm all right. And um, I hope this goes better than last time. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I, put out the, I put out the post the day after how you were on the podcast and I forgot to hit record and somebody said, Oh, that sucks. Brandy would have been awesome on, on the, I forget who that was, but, um, now they have a chance to listen to you. Yeah. And hopefully I'm still awesome. <laughs> oh yeah. You're, you're always awesome. Always, yeah, always. So we're going to talk about, um, chiller maintenance and you work on centrifugal chillers for different types of buildings and whatnot. And, yeah. uh, maybe you should just, talk about how you got into into that part of the industry quickly if, if you don't mind yeah so i kind of got lucky um my first i started my apprenticeship with johnson controls so i've done my whole hvac career with them and you know I, I started in a smaller branch down in london but um being that they absorbed york um i worked basically for the manufacturer so I had a little bit of chiller exposure early on, which was great. Um, actually, I remember going to basic when I did basic trade school and we were doing like residential A-coil condensing units. And this may sound terrible and people may laugh at this, but because this is a second career for me and I really didn't have any experience and really know the equipment at all before I got into it, um, I was kind of confused. <laughs> I'll never forget going up to my teacher after the first couple of days and saying, so when are we going to talk about like the evaporator bundle and the condenser and the compressor, the centrifugal compressor? And he looked at me and he's like, who do you work for? <laughs> what do you work on? So I told him, I was like, well, I, I really just work on chillers mostly. And my instructor was just like, he goes, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll get to that in advance. So he goes, just, just kind of uh, bear with it and go check out the system you have at your house. So it was kind of funny, but I really, I love the work. So I've worked on all different kinds of things. I don't have as much experience on rooftop units and heat pumps as other guys might have that work for different companies, but I really found myself gravitating to the chiller work. Um, it is a bigger piece of equipment, which, you know, at, in some ways people would think maybe I wouldn't like do as well on that type of equipment, but I love it. It's just, I think the work is great. Um, the machines are I just, they're intriguing. They're always evolving. I love the interface on them, like our OptiD screens that we use on the York. But of course, like anybody else, we also service all different kinds of chillers. So I do work on a fair bit of trains, not too many McQuays, but um, definitely a fair, a fair bit of train. So, and it's, um, it's good work. I know chiller mechanics get a bad rep as being prima donnas. And this one guy said to me, he's like, oh, all you need is a control screwdriver all day, which is definitely not the case. <laughs> so... Um, the work is, it's good. And I like being, um, at this stage in the game, because I'm a little bit older, I like being an indoor cat. So I do work on some air cooled chillers that would have like recip or scroll compressors on them. Mm -hmm. But, um, I, I really like the centrifugals. I really like where my heart's at as far as the equipment goes. Those are the ones I love the most. Yeah. And, 
And uh, I think I told you last time we talked, I went to school with a guy in, in advanced refrigeration and he was in the chiller industry. And he always said it was like the trade's best kept secret. And I never really understood what he meant by that. But I think <laughs> part of being inside um, yeah. when the weather is terrible outside, like you open up the mechanical room door and it's pissing rain or it's like minus 20 or it's like yeah. 40, like, uh, I guess it'd be like 110 degrees with, with the humidity outside. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I could see that being a huge bonus, but on the beautiful, yeah. beautiful days, I, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't come along very often where you're outside on like just this gorgeous, perfect day. So yeah, well, once like in a while, the breeze, we, the breeze is perfect and the sun isn't too bad, but, and for us really like the bulk of our work comes in the winter. Like when we're doing like a lot of big work and you're really kind of pulling those long hours, it's in the winter in the bad weather, because that's when a lot of the machines are down. Maybe not so much. Like we, ha we do have industrial machines that run like 12 months of the year. But, you know, they, if they have like four or five chillers, they won't be running all of them all winter. You know, they might be running a little bit of free cooling and then maybe they'll be running like one chiller at half a load. So we, we, we still do like the bulk of our work then. So those are the bonuses because like when I, I didn't even start in the trade until 32 and it was a huge adjustment, adjustment for me. In fact, somebody has said to me before, they're like, as a woman, they said, you'll fare much better in the summer than you will in the winter. And I guess like, the U.S. Army or something did a study on their soldiers, and that's kind of like what they found, like is, is another difference between like the male and female makeup, is that we tend to take the heat a little bit better. But yeah, the cold, I kind of felt like I feel like that little boy off of um, the Christmas Story, like bundled up in his snowsuit. <laughs> yeah. That that when he fell down, like he couldn't get up. Like yeah. I, I would be out on a service call and it's like, you know, minus 30 and I'd be trying to get my meter out. And I was just like, yeah, how do you work? How do you work like this? It's it's terrible. Like it, it really is. This, this winter I was like, man, I got to find a way to get out of this weather. Like I, I just, I have to, and it, it was bad. Any, yeah. Anyway. So like, as far as we go with, with chiller maintenance, we have, we have your, the three seasons you have, right? You have like the, the startup, you have the, the running, portion of the season and then the shutdown right so i guess i guess we got to break those up so you can start wherever you want yeah so if we want to start at the beginning of the year like in more like it's the january to april for us that's like that's our winter maintenance time we call it so um that's really the bulk of the work so if we're just doing like we're not doing a tear down on a machine we're just doing regular maintenance so you know we'll do our leak check um and it, obviously if it's high pressure it's a normal leak check if it's low pressure then we bring in um, the heat pack. So we have to warm up the bundle on the evaporator side so that we can put the machine into a positive pressure so we can find the leak. Yep. And I think that was like one of the first little videos I did was like the little reef tech machine that we use, which is pretty cool because um, I've seen guys do it other ways before I got to Toronto and it's pretty barbaric. Um, so then we'll also, we'll have the apprentice come in and they'll clean the condenser tube, maybe the evaporator if they're due, do eddy current, um, oil filters, um, clean the flow switches. If it's a low pressure chiller, there'll be purge filters because every low pressure has a purge on it. Um, also for our, uh, for the York chillers, there's usually a drive on them that has a VSD coolant. So it's the coolant that like the drive has its own separate cooling system. So we'll have to change that coolant out for the drive as well as possibly if it's a shell and tube heat exchanger you actually use like a little rifle barrel cleaner. Like it's very tiny, but we'll clean the tubes in that as well. And, you know, make sure that the coupling's still good on the shaft and between the motor and the compressor. And um, yeah, and that's pretty much like the bulk of the work. So normally um, for a mechanic, I guess it depends on the setup on the site, but we'll usually get a day, you know, six to eight hours per chiller or like they'll roll it in. If there's a few chillers on site, like once you get all your tools and everything in there, then the first chiller takes longer, but the rest go a little bit quicker. Yeah. So that's kind of our January to April gig. And now we're into obviously startup season, you know, the big repairs should be done now. Um, apprentices of clean cooling towers and um, everything's being filled. We're getting the air out of the system and we're kind of getting them ready to run for the, for the summer. So cool. that's so, where we're at right now. I wanted to, uh, sorry, my, my uh, allergies, I'm sniffling here in the mic, but oh, it's okay. um, 
I wanted to ask you about Eddie Current, if you can go over that quickly, okay. because um, some some techs out there might not know exactly what that test is all about. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. And actually, like, I always thought that'd be a cool job, but there is a ton of travel involved. And I did spend like five years in a hotel working up at the nuclear plant. And I, I know it's a bit it's a bit rough on the body to be out of town all the time, but Eddie Current is pretty cool. So when the condenser or the evaporator bundles open and the tubes have all, the tubes have all been cleaned, then we have a guy come in. So anybody that's um, seen or Googled a tube, a tube brushing machine, you've got what we call the whip. So it's the whip with a brush on the end that goes in and out of every tube. Well, the Eddie Current guy has a similar setup, except at the end of his whip, there's like an electrical probe. And this bounces a signal off the tube as it goes in the tube and he pulls it back out of the tube. And while he does that, he looks at a little TV screen, for lack of a better word. And I mean, it kind of looks like an algorithm or something on the TV screen. You really yourself, like if it's to the untrained eye, you wouldn't really know what you're looking at. It kind of might even look like something off a submarine or something from a movie. But what these guys have is from every manufacturer for every tube, they have, um, they have a perfect tube from the manufacturer, like a, a little two foot piece of tube. Mm -hmm. But before they, before they start with their probe, They'll actually put their probe inside um, the tube that's from the factory that's brand new. So that will give them their base. So that's like your perfect baseline. This is a tube with perfect integrity. This is what the signal should look like. And then they'll, they'll go through every single tube in the machine. And out of that, they do a comparison. So this electrical signal bounces off the inside of the tube. And it will detect any kind of wear, um, possibly a crack a dent, um, anything like that. And, and depending on the damage, they will then recommend that we may plug tubes. So they actually print out this really nice report for us that the customers love. It's very professional. Um, and you give that to the customer and it has like a picture of the, of the bundle opened up and the tubes are marked, the ones that should be, that should be plugged. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And then, and yeah, and they'll say why. So this kind of is one of those things that it's really important because it prevents a catastrophic failure. Like imagine like the refrigerant is in the bundle around the tubes and water's running through the tubes. So imagine a chiller running and a tube ruptures like in the middle of the summer. Now you have water and refrigerant in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So, so the, this gets done every single winter. Yeah. So a lot of places, depending on the site and the water quality and the history, they may do eddy current every year. Other oh, sites okay. might only do eddy current like every three years. Okay, gotcha. So it, it depends on the customer, but uh, it's definitely very valuable. And it's an easy sell because, I mean, the value is there. Yeah, and then, of course it um, is. Depending, depending on the chiller, like you can plug 10% of the tubes up on the chiller and no problem at all. Like it won't take away from, um, it won't take away from the capacity. Cool, cool. Yeah. So... Back, back to the, 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 we got into, um, the running of it and stuff like that. So the, the apprentice comes and, and, uh, fills up the towers and you guys go in and start them up. So like, what mm -hmm. is, is that usually around like May or April? Like what, what season is that? Yeah. Like cooling tower season can start the beginning of April. Okay. I know, I know this year it was a little cooler out. Obviously some days we still have cooler days right now. But um, yeah, it really just depends on what we have going on. And like anybody, like anybody else, like it's manpower, right? So if we've got a whole bunch of guys that are tied up on big repairs, it might get pushed out a little later. Okay. But generally you're looking like between April and early May, right? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah. when, when you guys start these up, like what, um, what kind of refrigerant is, is in these things? And uh, like, I mean, on, on a typical chiller, like a, an air conditioning chiller for like a high rise building, for instance, just to keep mm -hmm. it simple, what kind of refrigerant yeah. and then what sort of pressures are, are we running in these things? Yeah. So the high pressure chillers, um, they're usually running, um, our 134A. So that's, and the low pressure chillers are also for the high, the high rise buildings, but we'll stick with the high pressure for now. Okay. So they're usually running our 134A. Um, it, the pressures obviously vary depending on the temperature, but I mean, you could be running, <clears throat> like you might be running 60 pounds on your evaporator. Um, I mean, the, I think the high pressure limit on the condensers are normally like 150. 
but okay. we're never usually running anywhere near that. I mean, there are some that will get up there, but not normally. Okay. And then the low pressure chillers, which also would be used in a typical high rise um, application, they're running R123. So that's a little bit different of a refrigerant. It is a little bit more dangerous. There's a flammability to that one, as well as it um, displaces oxygen. And because they're low pressure, like those chillers are generally running in a vacuum. So um, you could be running at like um, eight inches type of thing. Yeah. And you got to make so, sure that you you don't have a leak or you could be pulling in air into the system too then, right? Right. So a lot of times what we'll do for those is like you'll, you can tell if there's a leak on the low side by the purge. So the purge is kind of, you know, when you do your operational inspections, the purge is something that you'll log the minutes and hours on the machine, right? Okay. And um, and then when you do that, if you start to see those numbers creep up, then you're you're kind of like, okay, like she's sucking in some air, so we got something going on in the low side. Most purges, they they will um, fault out at 50 minutes a day. Okay. So it's five zero minutes a day. The purge will fault out, and that way it kind of demands attention. So that means it's the purge is not keeping up with the amount of air that it's being sucked in. So. You are able to bypass that feature, but only for a maximum of 72 hours. So they're all kind of set up a little bit different, but that's the basic standard of how they run. And um, the good thing in the summer, like what we normally do, like some of them, they're pretty hard. Uh, some of them you might not get your leak check in every year for the low pressure. They take a long time because you got to heat up the bundles, right? Yeah, So exactly. you don't just get to like run in and like wave your leak detector over it. So a lot of times in the summer when they're running hot, you'll like leak check the high side because the high side will be running in a positive, which is great. And then you kind of know how the low side's doing by the purge. So I guess a lot of more seasoned mechanics, maybe not like myself, but a little more seasoned, um, you kind of make an educated guess in the winter and you're like, okay, you know, these are the chillers, I, low pressure chillers I have to leak check this year. You know, these are the ones I'm going to have to heat up, but these ones I feel are okay. Like they're pretty tight. Yeah. So, and a lot of times if, if you do find a leak on the low side in the winter, depending on the customer, like we actually just use sometimes an epoxy to seal up those leaks because it runs in a low, like it runs in a vacuum. So if it's leaking on the low side, you can usually buy the customer some time as well as, you know, keeping the machine running and happy by just using um, an epoxy. What kind, of, actually seal what, up kind of, what, what kind of epoxy do you use? So it's just that two-part epoxy. You can really use any brand. Like, for example, you know, like the Gorilla, the Gorilla Glue? Yeah. It comes in like, so in a small scale, it comes in a syringe, right? And there's like two parts to it. And you have to, you mix it up in like a little paste really quick. And then you have to apply it like within five minutes or something. And then it'll harden up like overnight. I see. So, I, it, it sounds like... Yeah. Um, the the AC well it doesn't sound like it this is not I, I guess the AC smart seal stuff if the external have you ever seen any po my posts on it or anything like I, that yeah so I have seen some of your posts on it I haven't actually got to use it before but I, I have seen kind of your posts on that and then somebody else had told me that the epoxy like they, they used to use that for like aircraft and stuff like that oh really but it's also it's also very flammable like I guess it can combust at, like if you mix too big of a batch at one time. So I think like I like I usually get it in the syringes, but say I have to do like a like actually in a couple of weeks I'll be doing a big suction elbow, and it's a pretty big elbow elbow. Like to do that with those syringes, I would probably need like twenty tubes of syringes. So you apparently you can get them in small canisters, but it's funny you mention that because I'm actually trying to source like a bigger size of the epoxy right now. It it comes in a small roll. It's not it's not a big one. It comes in a small roll about I don't know the size of like an average like index finger that's about how long it is yeah i guess um and then it's like two pieces and then it's like two two types of two different colors and then you cut a piece off and kind of knead it till it's uniform and then you put it over a pipe i've used it and people have used it with like some success like up to like 825 psi so i mean if you're running like eight inches in a vacuum i'm sure that it's gonna hold probably no problem right so I don't know, j oh, yeah, j like, just something else you can you can maybe experiment with down the road. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I know, like, way back in the day, I guess, like, there was guys that even told me, like, they just used to paint them. And then, like... Really, eh? Like, paint... Yeah, because I guess they would paint where the leaks are, right? And then, I guess the idea is, is that since it isn't a vacuum, it's just going to suck some of that in. And I guess that's really enough to seal it up, obviously, temporarily. Like, this is not a forever fix. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, I guess I guess they, the, the the fact that it's like a little liquidy or or like jelly, it kind of like it'll get into those crevices and suck it in. Like like say this suction elbow I have to do, it, it's all it's probably about thirty six thirty six inches around, and it's like a flange on flange, right? So it's like bolted together. Yep. So I don't know. I'd have to look at that stuff, that smart seal, and see if we could use that in that kind of application. Yeah, I would. I would like experiment that. with it, like on a piece of pipe or something similar yeah. to the material that's on the chiller first, and then and then mm-hmm. do it that way. I, I know it works for like around copper piping and a copper and aluminum and that, but for your application, it it might be a little bit different. So um, yeah, and I've seen something similar for like water leaks. Like I've seen. Like oh yeah, there's all kinds on, of stuff. Water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like wet bond or whatever it's called, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like when you, when you guys are running these chillers, most of the time, like what you're, you're chilling like glycol or water down to like what temp, like how how low you going around like 45, 50 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. So there's a couple applications that, um, the customer's calling for like somewhere between 37 degrees Fahrenheit and 45 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. So that's basically it, though. Yeah, all the machine is doing is making cold water or like glycol, like you said, depending on the application. Do you find when you go like really, really low, like 37, that the building has condensation issues on the piping that's running through it, like the chilled water piping? Um, well, the piping is usually insulated. Yeah. But normally, like those places, so we do, we do a handful of like, I guess, mini power plants around um, the Markham area. So they have to run it that low because um, basically like the piping is going out underground and it's serving areas. It's like the chillers aren't actually in the buildings that they're serving. Okay. So this is like a cost saving measure, right? So say they build a, like they build a couple condos and this is like a little pre-planned community, right? So the piping is all underground. It all comes up from the building and all the owners or, or building people are responsible for is basically just an A coil or like a fan coil and, and that's it. They don't have to worry about the cost of, say, um, the chiller repair or chiller breaking down or maintenance being passed along, like, into their condo fees. Mm-hmm. So they pay, like, basically, they're the customers to the power plants. I see. So to these these, these central utility plants, if you, if you would. Gotcha. And they'll do their heating and cooling for them. Okay. Yeah. So that's usually like the lower application, but all the chilled water piping is always, is always insulated. So otherwise you're right. There'd be huge issues with condensation. And, the, the reason and why I ask is because, mm-hmm. um, I got a building with, with a couple of chillers They're not centrifugal They're They got scroll compressors, but they're, they're, they're pretty big. They're like a couple hundred tons each or just, just mm-hmm. shot, just shy. Um, and we were having in the summer, massive condensation issues in the server room that these things served and all the pipes were insulated, but, um, we'd get water drips on the floor. We go, we go find that the the insulation was saturated with water. I don't know if the job, the job must not have been done correctly in the first place, but we, Mm -hmm. we'd cut out sections and then re-insulate it. And then another section and like another two months would be dripping. So we ended up actually raising the temperature of the chilled glycol from 46, I believe to 53, and that mm-hmm. was about seven or eight years ago, and it seemed to solve most of those issues. But I guess, mm-hmm. I guess, if you're going down to 37, they're probably specking some real heavy duty insulation, and you're getting some professional in- insulators in there to, to get that done too. Then I'd imagine. Oh, absolutely! Like that's like that would be like an industrial application for them. Yeah. So yeah, it's all done. Like yeah, it's. I mean, it's not only it's it's insulated, and then it also has that plastic. Um, plastic coating around the outside as well right gotcha yeah 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 so it's not just like a soft insulation over the pipe there's also that white like plastic that you see yeah the protector yeah i guess because whenever you try to take that stuff off like sometimes you have to remove it if like it's in the way of the flow switch or something for some reason i never get to to go back on and look as good as the guys that did it (laughs) no never (laughs) never never (laughs) don't don't ask me to do aesthetic stuff like that I'll, i'll i'll fix it but Actually, I used yeah. to, I used to do refrigerant piping and I used to love running refrigerant piping because I used to take so much pride in, in the way it looked and the bends and, and stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. In, insulating that, that is a skill that, that, that's a true skill. Yeah. And it's funny because I know those guys take a little bit of flack, but it's, a, to me, it's an art. Like, you know, it's kind of like that last part of the job. And when those guys are done, 
you look at those mechanical rooms after, like, I don't know, that's that mechanical room porn that we post about. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you, you kind of step back and you look at all, like, the pretty colors and the piping and, you know, how shiny and beautiful it all looks. And you're like, yeah, like, those guys did a great job. But before that, it was just, like, you know, black welded pipe. <laughs> so, yep. No, no, they do. Yeah. They do finish it off really nice for sure. So, yeah, it's nice so in the, the, after the summer's over and we have to shut yeah. these things down, how, what, what do we, what is our step-by-step procedure there to, to, to shut them down? Yeah. So depending on the building, but in, in general, we'll go shut, we'll go shut them down. Um, and that's just literally what we do. We'll shut them down and usually the building will do a switch over then, right? From their chillers to their boilers. Uh-huh. Um, as mechanics, we'll go, we'll take an oil sample, um, you know, we'll isolate usually the condenser bundle and drain it at that time because that's kind of us prepping for the apprentices to come in so that they don't have to waste their time waiting for a bundle to drain. They can just get in there and punch tubes. Um, depending on the compressors, you know, you want to make sure that your heaters are all working, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't have any refrigerant migrating into your oil. Um, check the overall condition. We'll, we'll make any notes at that time. That's kind of like the time that window that you have to make recommendations to your customer, right? So yeah. say maybe you found something in the summer, but you know, you can't do that repair in July. You're going to want to have that discussion with your customer at shutdown time to say, okay, Hey, like we're shutting down now. It's say October, November, but you know, in a couple months, like we're going to have to talk about getting this repair done or when you want to do this repair, you know, mm-hmm. um, oil changes are huge upsells for low pressure chillers. We can like those relief valves, right? Um, they have to be changed. So all, all things like that are, are what we do at that time. And then you'll just make any other notations at that time and say, okay, this is the kind of stuff that we're looking to do in the winter. And then from there, that's, it's pretty, it's, it's not really, the shutdown isn't, there's not really much to it, I guess, you know? And, and a lot of times too, I've gone and shut down chillers, but then there's another company or, or other guys will come in to do like, They'll do the actual flip over because some of those buildings, like, I don't know if you've seen it, but the valve arrangements are yeah. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. and nothing is labeled. <laughs> oh yeah. So you're kind of like trying to trace out piping and you're like, okay, this goes here and that goes there. And this is a bypass. And what does this do? Right. So, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's one of those times you just kind of get in overall check it. I mean, some of these, some of these sites, you know how it is, like where you're not there every month, like maybe you're only there, like, you know, four times a year. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and, and for us, um, you know, we're, we're a big branch. So, you know, as much as everyone likes to have their quote unquote contracts, it's usually there's several hands on one site. So it's not always the same guy going to the same site. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah. The way our company works is mostly the, guy, the same guy going to the same site to get, and, and we get to know the equipment, um, really, really well mm-hmm. that way. Um, but yeah. I could, I could see the advantage of, of changing it up because then like, cause, cause if somebody goes to one of my buildings, um, they don't know where anything is. They got to call me if I'm not available, they're stuck looking for everything. Right. So if everybody kind of goes to each building equally through the year or over the a couple of years, everybody kind of gets a handle on where things are and. You know what I mean? So there, there is an advantage of that. Yeah. And sometimes for us, like, I mean, multiple eyes, different people see different things. Um, and then that also helps. Right. And then it's, it's just kind of like you said, like, say you're the only guy that ever goes to this building. Well, then you go on vacation. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's kind of nice for you to be able to have a vacation and not be the only go-to guy that this customer is relying on a hundred percent. Right. Uh-huh. So, and with other sites, like sometimes there's bigger machines or more complicated chillers. And you kind of got to work your way up there, right? So they'll have a senior mechanic go. And then, you know, someone like me, maybe that doesn't have as much experience. You kind of get in there every once in a while. So you have a little bit of exposure. But uh, you you definitely might not be the primary on site. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So before um, we get into this next part of the conversation, which we (laughs) recorded last week. (laughs) Okay. um, Because it's going to lead into it. um, Yeah. Regarding refrigerant safety into the, into these mechanical rooms, you were saying last week how there's um, like a sensor in the room, there's a sensor outside the room, and they alarm if the the, the, the certain uh, ppm level hits, and then we know there's a leak, and we should get out or, or do something about it, right? Yeah. So there's always an audible and a visual alarm, so it'll be like a flashing light as well as like a screaming siren, right? And um, 
especially when we're working with R123. Like, I know that's one that's going to be phased out, but for right now, you know, that one, we're, we all have, we all get fit tested that work on that equipment. So we have our special 3M masks, yeah. our special cartridges, right? Yeah. And that's something you keep on your truck and you keep in hand. And even those cartridges, like they're only good for three hours of exposure. So, I mean, that was something that is weird. I've been working on these cellos for a long time and it was only two years ago that anyone had told me, oh yeah, by the way, these cartridges are only good for three hours. So if you were, not that you want to be in your mask any longer than that, but if you were, you have to be conscious that, okay, they may be saturated now, so you have to go and change them out. Yeah. As well, if you're doing a repair or charging that refrigerant especially, I like to have like a little fan beside me that kind of blows blows any of it away, any of the vapor away. So yeah. that, you know, it's just it's just a way for me, which is better because you know, our one, two, three, it does displace oxygen. So, you know, that's kind of the man down situation. Like if a guy goes down, that's that situation. Like you can't go in and try to get him because you'll be the next guy down. Kind of like the people that, you know, go in the hole to get their buddy out and they just keep dropping like flies. Yeah. You know, as well, it can cause like a regular heartbeat. So, I mean, it's it's not good. It's not good at all to to really have that. But also interlocked with these refrigerant monitors is an exhaust fan. So as soon as, as soon as the alarm hits, the exhaust fans are interlocked and they automatically come on. And they're supposed to be sized and designed with the ductwork and the fan to remove um, everything out of that room. So those, I, I've seen some of your your Instagram videos with you moving, <laughs> moving around those big uh, jugs of refrigerant. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there was there was one I was just dying laughing when you put your you put your your leg up on it or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I gave it a big hug. Yeah. yeah. That, Sometimes that, it's like they're your best friend for the week, right? It's like, come here, big girl. I'll that, put my arms around you. <laughs> that, that was hilarious. But anyway, what, what is the uh, what's the capacity of those cylinders that you're hauling around? Yeah. So, and that was kind of like I flopped on it because that was my third cylinder I had to move. And even though you're moving it on a cart, the water capacity of those cylinders is a thousand pounds. Wow. And most of the time, like the tear weights, like, you know, 336 ish around there. That's, that's if they were empty, no oil, no nothing. So normally when you're, you get them on the scale, they're like 1300 pounds that you're, you're dragging around on a pump cart. Right. And then getting, and then that's if we, ha- we usually, you know, you want to be able to weigh it if you're going to, pull that much gas out of a chiller you definitely want to weigh it so yeah so yeah. so you must have like yeah, a big funny. big giant industrial scale and obviously do you have to use some sort of um a mechanism like a chain fall or whatever to, yeah. to get these things on yeah so it's just like a hanging scale now if you if we're at some manufacturing plants you it's kind of cool because the forklifts can some forklifts have scales on them okay so they'll just pick the tanks up with the forklift and tell us the weight which is pretty awesome um, and then other places that have a lot of drums or any kind of chemical, they'll usually have some kind of a weight scale as well that you just kind of put them up onto a big like metal platform that's built right into the floor. Like there's no lip on it or anything. So you just kind of roll the tank on, take your, your dolly off or a pump cart off and then it'll weigh it. But in our vans, um, we just have those, these hanging scales that are rated for that capacity. And then, like you said, the one thing where my video is that the customer provides us with a strap on an I-beam. That's where they want it to be weighed. I mean, other places you can use a gantry. Um, sometimes, uh, you've, you know, we've hung them off pipes because you, you're around some pretty big pipes sometimes. And you put the straps right at the hangers, right? So, yeah. And, uh, yeah, hook it up to a chain fall and up she goes. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you, you're like, are you mainly by yourself most of the time? Or do you, like, do you yeah. get to- no, so mostly we're by ourselves. Um, how they work it out, you, like you could get a, an apprentice if it was a bigger repair, or like today, um, I got to work with like a senior mechanic, which is good, just because it's a very like critical site, and they wanted two mechanics on the site. It was his site originally, and then I kind of I kind of pinch hit for him there, so that's why we went. Not only that, but I had to sit. I couldn't get any pictures because of where it was, but I'll try to find something comparable one day. But I had to sit in between on top of the chiller under the suction elbow in between both bundles and the oil sumps like in the middle. Basically it's like in the middle of the chiller boob is what I would call it. <laughs> so like the guy I went with, it was funny. He said that too. He goes, I would never be able to sit up there and, and do that. Cause I was kind of like crunched over in like a hunched position, like no headroom, no room for wrenches because the suction elbow is right over your head. So yeah, it was pretty funny. So it's kind of like, when you do shit like that, it just, you just shake your head at your day at the end of the day. Like I walked away from there. I was like, how did I even get in that space to do that repair? It's hilarious. So, 
So normally it's always by ourselves, but the apprentice will come the day before. So like if I need tanks or the recovery unit, um, we've got like a truck that has a lift gate on it. So obviously we can push them into the back of our vans, but it's easier. If we need like three or four tanks, the apprentice will drop it off with, with the recovery unit. Them. Nice, nice. So, what, and then what, you show up and do your thing by yourself. Yeah. I was gonna. What happened to your apprentice that had to go home because it was his birthday? It's, oh well, you know, <laughs> interesting story about that. And lucky I didn't name any names, but he's no longer with us. Oh so, no, why not? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because another guy. I told the story, and another guy worked with said, "Oh my God, when I had him, it was Valentine's Day." <laughs> and I said, and so he says to the guy, "Oh, do you have a girlfriend or a wife?" And he goes, "No, I'm single." <laughs> Really? But he had to leave early because it was Valentine's Day. Wow. So it was the same it was the same guy. But yeah, he um he didn't make it, unfortunately. Poor lad. But uh he'll find his place in the world. <laughs> yeah, well there's there's a lot of uh, apprentices and that that that's like that nowadays. I mean I don't know how many like that that we've gone through that just they don't seem to understand that you actually have to work. And you actually have to learn and you actually have to get dirty to, if, if you want to get better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I remember, it's... I remember driving around with a high school kid. He was just a co-op um, yeah. student, but I think he was in grade 12. This is like, this is going back quite a ways. This is like eight or nine years ago. But I mean, all he did was he slept, like, he was a co-op student, so he wasn't really getting paid. I don't think, but it, it was funny. Like he was, he was always sleeping in the passenger seat, always on his phone. Oh my God. And the worst part, about it is he was touching the radio in the van i'm like what do you oh, he's like I, no. I i like that song turns it up or i don't like that song turns the channel and, and he's trying to flip around trying to find a news report on something and i'm like dude like you're in my van like you don't start playing with the radio like come on know oh your know, know, know your role here so it, it's funny some of these apprentices that that uh that, that enter the trade and then some of them like when you find i'm telling you when you find a good apprentice that listens, that yeah. works hard, that gets dirty, that pays attention, still makes mistakes because everybody will. You gotta, you gotta hold on to those kids, yeah. And and you really gotta treat them well because, I mean, first opportunity they have to leave. If you don't treat them right, they will. And and those are the kind of apprentices that you can mold into um, really nice seasoned techs. And and if if you want to build a company, you want to train someone. You you want to train yeah. someone from the the grassroots level because i mean we've we've brought on licensed guys that i mean they were worse than the apprentices because they were stuck in their ways they were lazy they didn't want to do this or that or go to that building or that call because they thought they were better than 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 the, the actual job so yeah well and there's a lot of that like there's a lot of arrogance in the trade but it's funny that i do notice that now it's not only that the kids don't want to work like this kid like, I, I don't know, I'm a different generation too. And I got in as an older apprentice. So, and I already kind of knew the way the game r- ran. So it was like, I had a lot of respect for like my journeyman or my senior apprentices above me. But these days, like I find a lot, and this kid was the same thing, like very cocky. You know what I mean? Yep. So like coming in, he's just, he's not even made his three months yet with our company. And he's cut, has a residential license, been doing res- residential for six years which is great. Never been in a chiller plant before. Never worked on a chiller. Has only punched tubes like once or twice before. And my customer um, comes over to me to start talking to me and asking questions about the chiller. And before I could open my mouth, this kid starts talking. And I was like, "Uh." (laughs) (laughs) like, I wanted to throat punch him. I was like, please do not talk to the customer because he's very smart. <laughs> like He's the chief of this power plant and you're not like, do not talk to him. Yeah. New, new apprentices should, should not be speaking to the customers a hundred percent. They shouldn't. <laughs> I, I was in the day when it was like, you were like children, you should be seen, but not heard. You know, like you, I like you waited, you know, and when you have questions, you ask, but you kind of know your place. So yeah, I find that's the other problem. If they, and he wasn't, I wouldn't say a hard worker, obviously, because I couldn't get him to stay late with me. And I stayed anyways, but, um, cause you know, you have to, that's part of being the mechanic, right? You got to get the job done. But, um, and you know, they either don't want to work or they're cocky. And like you said, when you find those gems, you're just like, oh my God, like, please don't ever leave. 
because it does leave a hole when you lose like a good apprentice that can like get shit done for you. Oh, and, and, and it takes a, a weight off your shoulders because if you can trust that apprentice to go do the tasks yes. you've given them, like I have, I have one apprentice at our place and, and I always request him to do the work that I need to get done because I know that if he doesn't understand or, or he's not sure, he'll call me and ask. Yeah. He'll always call me and ask. He doesn't just yeah. go, okay, yeah, maybe I'll do it this way. And then we have apprentices that do not call ever. The communication is terrible and it's so frustrating. Um, so there's this one kid, um, early twenties and, and I, I love him, man. I love, I love how he works. I love how he, uh, completes the tasks that I give him. And, and I'll say, I, I he was working with me a couple weeks ago and I said, listen, I was doing paperwork. I said, when I'm done this paperwork, I'll come up and give you a hand finishing that. He's like, no, he goes, I got it. Don't worry about it. Finish your paperwork. And I'm like, I love, I love this guy, man. <laughs> yeah. So I went out and I, I grabbed coffees and brought him back one. And yeah. You know I mean? uh, and I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just, I, I like to, I like to have a relationship with, especially with these kids that, that really want to learn. And there's a lot of apprentices that I've trained over the years that have gone from our company. And I still talk to, to this day, um, because, because we had that kind of relationship, right. Where they, they, they under, they, they respected me and I respected them. Yeah. And I mean, I can speak to that too, because I've got, even though I've switched branch, branches, like there's a couple of my like mentor mechanics that I still talk to. And it's like on a weekly basis, sometimes, even if it's just to like shoot the shit, you know, but like I spent a few years out of town when we were working at that brief power, like almost five years. And I was, it was majority was with one other mechanic and a couple other guys would drop in. So you just get to know people really well when you have to eat dinner with them every night and you work with them all day. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, yeah. And you just, and it's a comfort level too. Like I know there's some guys, it's funny, like I find you very, like you're obviously super approachable and friendly, but I know when I was an apprentice and I'm not sure if this is just because it was me, but there was some mechanics, like I wouldn't call if I had a question because they were just too like intimidating or I had asked questions before and got a really kind of nasty response. You know what I mean? Yep. So, and you know, you get those guys, maybe it's just a bad day or whatever, but it is a deterrent, you know, which isn't good because you got to ask questions. You got to. Yeah. I, I was in that, I was in that boat too. I, I it, it came to the point where I, I got so frustrated, um, with that. Um, uh, like I almost lost it on one of the, 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 the senior guys, the like super smart guys we had, like I came through an apprenticeship being shit on by all these, yeah. kinda, by all these kind of, kind of egos and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. and I called this guy once and I'm like, have you ever experienced, cause I was at one of the buildings that he used to take care of. And I said, listen, have you ever experienced what's going on here? And I didn't want him to help me or troubleshoot or anything like yeah. that. Cause I already figured out the problem. I just wanted to know the history and he starts Ooh. going on about, yeah, did you check? Did you do like, and, and he was trying to tell me how to fix it and troubleshoot it. And I'm like, e, and, and hit the tone that he was taking with me was, was kind of unacceptable. And I almost, I, I bit my lip, but I was at the point where I almost, um, gave him, uh, gave him some words because I mean, I, I, I had enough at that point. And, and well, I, yeah. I, I talk about it all the time. My apprenticeship was terrible, but mm-hmm. I learned so much because I was thrown to the wolves and I don't yeah. know. I don't, I think if I to do it again, I think I might do it the same way. Uh, I might tweak it a little bit, but now I have the confidence that I'm comfortable in my surroundings. Right. Yeah. Well, it's weird. It's almost like you have to, you kind of develop a comfort level, like taking a risk and being okay, making a mistake. Cause that's part of like, you know, troubleshooting and being a mechanic. I think like yeah. not everybody's perfect every day, but you actually, I know I look back on like where I've come, like how I've come up to the ranks. And that was one thing that terrified me, like in the early days, like I was so afraid to make a mistake. Right. I was like, Oh my God, what if I make a mistake? Like everyone will think I'm dumb or like, I'll get in trouble or like some, the customer will be mad. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or it'll cost X amount of dollars. It's like, I was always so paranoid. And then you just develop like through experience, right. You just get comfortable and you're like, well, oh, all right. And you just kind of learn to mitigate those waters. So like you're, you're more like, it's more trial and error, less of mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but one question I, I did want to yeah. ask, I did want to ask you this be, because, yeah. 
um, the trade is mostly dominated by men. As you were coming up in the yeah. trade and stuff, did you run into any issues because you're a female in the trade? Like, because I know that online, um, I've seen a few female techs, and 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 I'm I believe Ariel, like you know, um, Ariel. Yeah. Um, yeah, mermaid. Yes. So Ariel yeah. the mermaid, and that that is a real name. I didn't know if it was or not. Yeah. She was on my oh, <laughs> she was on my podcast <laughs> like months ago. She was the first female. You're the second one, by the way. Nice. Um, and and I've seen her say in some comments on posts that, and I can't remember if it was that or if she told me on the podcast, but it was um, if she calls tech support, like she's got to convince them that she's not a homeowner and she's yeah. actually a tech. Like, do you go through anything like that when you're going? Yeah, through your- um, there's some freaking hilarious things. But when I used to always call, um, yeah. So I, if I called chiller tech support, it's the same thing. Um, if I called, if I would call to get like POs and stuff and as a mechanic, we do it one way in the field. Right. But if you're at the office, the girls still have to get POs. They do it a different way. Okay. So the constantly the person thinks that I'm working in the office Yeah. and I have to be like, no, like I'm the mechanic or I'm, when I'm on call, I call the customer for my ETA. Right. Yeah. So I get the service call. I'm like, Hey, um, I'll be there in about an hour, hour and a half. And they'll be like, okay, but like what mechanic is coming? Like when will, the, when will he be here? And I'm like, Yep, I'm actually the mechanic that's coming. No, no. <laughs> yeah. And like I've had a guy, it took like four times one time. He's like, no, no, the mechanic. I know. I I called you. And I'm like, no, you didn't call me, sir. You called dispatch or whatever, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then I've gone to um the first time I was at a new site, um, when I first transferred branches and I was with a new mechanic. And it was one of his sites that he was with like all the time. So we we pull up and the on-site guy's like, Oh, is it bring your wife to work day, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> Mike was like, um, no. <laughs> he didn't know what to say. I'm like, it's cool. I get it all the time. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so that's that's like so, the, the people outside of the company. What about the techs you're working with? Are they cool with you? Yeah. Or? It's usually, there's a bit of a warm-up period. Like, I was in London for a long time, so I got to know everybody really well. When you switch branch, branches, it kind of, it gets a little bit weird. But I, it, it's literally only because there's just not that, like not enough of us. Right. So yeah. I don't think most of the time guys don't know what to expect, but you know, after you're, once you're just there to work and you're just doing shit and then like, you just kind of fall into place. Right. Yeah. So yeah. I've heard I, guys like, and guys are funny on the phone. Like it's like the, the wife will call and be like, <laughs> cause I've heard the one guy's like, yeah, it's Brandy. I know it's a girl. It's Brandy. Well, and they'd be like, no, she's a mechanic. No, she's not a real girl. She's a mechanic. She's not a real girl. It's not, I'm not hanging out with a girl. It's just Brandy. And then after like, I've met their spouses and that sometimes they're like, oh yeah, okay, it's cool. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and you know, and you have to take the good with the bad with any job. Like I've had some bad experiences too, which I just, I don't think it's, I don't like to talk about them because it's not good to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And it's just part of the gig. Like when I got into the trades, it was, you know, in the 2000s. And I had no idea that it was that big of, I didn't know that there weren't any women on the tools. Like, how would you know unless you're in the trade, right? Yes. So, and then once I got involved, it was just like, whoa, it was a bit of an eye opener, but I, I wanted to do the job. So I don't know. I just kind of kept plugging away at it. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's cool. And and I've noticed that you're kind of ramping up your, um, your presence on, on Instagram. And, And if you want to give your, uh, your handle out by the way so that people are that are listening can go follow you yeah i'm at uh chiller chick c-h-l-r-c-h-k cool so like yeah. you've, you've been ramping up the uh the presence and and i think it's cool because other females can can watch that and say yeah that, that's cool i can i can do that and and there is there is a surge of of females getting into the trades like if you go on linkedin um i don't yeah. know if you're on linkedin there's there's tons and tons of posts about um females and an empowering in the trades and, 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 and you've been to a few of those like, um, type, type yeah. seminars or, or edu- educational, uh, seminars. Like what are those that you're, that you're going to? Yeah. So that's why we're seeing this like surge because the biggest thing is, is like, like, let's be honest. And maybe the guys are different, but there's no little girl that's going to wake up as a young girl and go, I want to be a chiller mechanic. That's what I want to be because that little girl doesn't even know what the hell that is. Right. Yeah. And how would she? Like, there's a ton of careers that kids don't know about. And the girls, though, they just seem to get steered away from that, which is changing. So these events are usually um, put on by different not-for-profit groups and the school boards get involved. 
And it'll usually be high school girls, um, grades 9 and 10, or it'll be a graduating class. Sometimes um, it's for like continuing education. So that would be like a women in skilled trades course. And we go and a whole bunch of companies show up, the unions show up, everybody sets up like booths and has swag and there's like a keynote speaker and a panel, which is what I've, I've got to speak on the panel a couple of times. That's cool. And basically like these, these young girls walk around and we tell them like what we do. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of them. It's really awesome to see like at 15 and 16, like they are stoked. Like you have, I had a girl come up to me on Tuesday after the skills Ontario event and she was, that's it. She's like, I'm going to do HVAC. And she was, she goes, after I spoke on the panel, I was packing up my stuff. And she was like talking to other people. And finally, this one lady's like, yeah, it's that girl over there. She's the HVAC girl. So, and she came over and asked me all these questions and wrote down all this information. And, you know, they just don't know about it. So that's really what the events are for. It's to educate them on opportunities that are out there and that they are capable of doing it. And that employers do want to be like, they want to diversify their workforce. You know, it's, it's, you're, everyone is stronger together. You know, it just, it brings balance. Like when I left the London branch, the, it almost brought a tear to my eye. My foreman, who is then my manager, said to me, I'm really sad to see you go. He goes, you're kind of like our glue. That's and I was cool. like, really? Cool. And yeah, and he goes, yeah. He goes, like, I was like the most skeptical when you started like seven years ago. He goes, but you know, like, it's really brought like this different vibe to the whole team. And it's good, right? Yeah, so, it, it, bring, it brings a different angle, a different perspective. And um, right. it, it, it's, it bring it brings character. I mean, because <laughs> you provide quite a bit of character on your Instagram uh, page there. So it's very, very, well, I mean, very entertaining. If, if anything, you have to, you know, you might as well be yourself. Yeah. So, exactly, and yeah, exactly. and I, I'm kind of like Shire. I actually, I really don't like the videos and that, and I'm a little, I'm pretty self-conscious, but what made me start doing it was because I was getting a lot of messages from women. Yeah. And other people about like, what do you do? Like, what's a chiller? Like, what is this? Right. And then when I go speak to the events and all that, it also helps um, give people an idea of like what I'm working on. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of why I started doing it and I haven't had a good response, but yeah, I, I think there's, I, I hope it's not just me. There's a level of being uncomfortable and self-conscious. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think there's not many people that are comfortable speaking in in crowds or comfortable uh doing videos and stuff i wasn't when i first started and and i'm still sometimes not sometimes i sometimes i lay in bed at night and go oh my god like i just did a video that because that eleven thousand people just watched like what are they thinking what are they thinking about me like what are they saying like you know what i mean like i have no idea and then and then the next day i'll get like five really cool messages like thanks for that i didn't know about that tool and then i'm like you know what maybe this is kind of cool maybe i am doing some good so maybe i'll continue doing it so it's those it's those messages that um the positive ones that 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 give you the uh the, the the validation that you're doing good stuff but i find the negative ones nobody likes yeah. the negative ones i find the negative ones fuel me to to, to do better um because yeah. they're like yeah you said this and you said that i'm like oh yeah so yeah. watch this then watch this you know what i mean yeah like yeah. so watch watch me do it then <laughs> yeah so well, it kind of it kind of like- drives me yeah and i can totally relate to that because even before the comments on social media like there is a ton of negativity, like being the only woman, like in the field or on the tools, no matter where you are. So there's always going to be a hater. And those are always my best days at work. Right. Yep. So the guy that wants to be the biggest dick to me, I'm like, I just kill him with kindness and I work my ass off. Oh, they and hate he, has, it. He, he, oh, he, you can just see them like shrivel up and die, like, you know, inside. And I, that's it. And I just freaking give them a big smile and wave as I walk out with my tool bag for the day. <laughs> and they're just like angry, but you're right. The, the good messages are great. You got one that like, I love what the guy from listening to you, he had um, moved ahead in his career and he actually became a service manager. Do you remember? Oh yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which I thought was just like the coolest message. That was a, te- yeah, he wrote me that. And uh, I don't remember what I said to him or, or what he did or, or how that all came about. But yeah, I, I was really, I was really proud when I, when I read that and it's really cool to get that feedback. 
Yeah, like he said, it was from listening to your podcast. Like he had learned so much from oh, you. Yeah, that, that's right. It said it, it kind of motivated motivated him and put some of his yeah. his energy back into into what he was doing. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is like yeah, just like you said, that's awesome. You're, yeah, you're definitely doing a good thing for the trade. Well, I'm 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 trying. So anyway, we, yeah. we're, we're all doing our part, but um, we are. You've been up since four in the morning, so I'm yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'll, I'll let you go, but I just wanted to if you had some parting words. Um, Go go ahead and 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 give us your uh, your wisdom. Yeah, I don't think I have any parting words or wisdom. I would just like to say that um, I think uh, we're all part of a really unique little world and family, and uh, it's pretty badass. I love what we all do, and Instagram especially has really showed me just how much is out there and how many great people are in the field. Because when you work alone all day, it's kind of uh, solitary yeah. and you know stuff like this and and that I really feel it brings everyone together and I know since I've been a part of that community I don't feel as alone which I think is great so everyone keep working hard and playing safe and um yeah keep cool. it coming HVAC warriors that's right well well thank yeah. you thank you very much for um hopping on especially when you're up so early because I know I know <laughs> no I know what it's I know what it's like um <laughs> being tired and everything and and uh thank you and guys yeah, follow follow brandy on uh instagram chiller chick right just chiller chick yep. right that's right just chiller check awesome cool okay wicked thanks man okay have a good night okay bye bye so that is chiller maintenance in a nutshell centrifugal chiller maintenance now, as the guy I went to school with once said, the trade's best kept secret. And it sounds like a pretty cool part of the industry from what Brandy was saying. And, and the fact that you're inside all the time, yeah, bittersweet, but guess what? There's a lot of crappy days outside on a roof. Lots of them. Or at the side of a home, in the snow, in the rain, whatever. Like in a nice fresh environment and a lot of these buildings shouldn't say all of them but a lot of them they keep their mechanical rooms really really nice right and you as the tech can also be um, helpful in that too if you keep that work environment that work area really pristine um, you keep your maintenance up to date it could be a really cool part of the industry to get into so thanks brandy i really appreciate you getting onto the podcast it was fun I apologize about the uh, <laughs> the mishap, me not hitting record the first time around. But like I said, it was cool to talk to you twice. But I'm out. Happy HVACing.